0: Kick, the podcast aiming for the top corner and part of the sports social network. And we're off to the Euros. Excitement is at fever pitch for our first tournament in 23 years, and the Lafontaine's are getting the nation dancing care Oaken and Jamie Keenan from the band join us to talk about the new national anthem their words Scotland Bonnie Scotland football writer Johnny McFarlane looks at how the Scotland team is shaping up ahead of Monday's Euro 2020 opener with the Czech Republic at Hamden plus Czech football writer Thomas Danishek gives us that insight over his team ahead of the competition setting the scene for what we hope will be a great couple of weeks you're listening to free kick and the Euros are coming I'm Craig Anderson, welcome to the show. Well, it's finally here and after so long staying home, Whenever the big tournaments come along, we're uh, well. We're staying at home. Hamden Park and Wembley Stadium will be our venues in the next couple of weeks as Steve Clark's men take on the Czech Republic and Croatia in our national stadium. But in the middle, a tasty little game with England in a repeat of the Euro 96 clash. That'll take care of itself in due course and we'll preview that in much bigger detail next week. But for this edition, it's about being back and looking ahead to the Czech Republic. Coming later, we'll talk to Czech football writer Thomas Danicek about his team. And what the Scots can expect. But we'll stay home from our first guest. And I caught up with NewsQuest football writer Johnny McFarlane. To talk about the state of our team. And who Clark may pick. As we recorded there was also the news of Celtic's appointment of Ange Postacoglu. As their new manager. As well as Dundee United announcing Thomas Courts. So we covered that as well. But first I asked Johnny if he was excited for the start of Euro 2020. And the fact that Scotland are involved.
1: Yes I'm really really excited. And can't wait for Friday, to be honest, it's just the thought of three football matches a day. I've always loved these early stages of the tournament, and they often let you down. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> but the excitement in the lead-up when you know that basically you're going to get unfettered access to to football is is just terrifically exciting. And, and you know, hopefully, we can have a tournament that lives up to that excitement.
0: And of course, there's a bit of vested interest for us this year because we're in it, which is fantastic.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just 16 when we last qualified for a a major tournament. And I remember bunking off school to go down to the pub to watch the Scotland-Brazil game and the chaos that ensued and and how excited everyone was. And I actually think we were pretty rubbish at, at France 98, to be honest. I don't think Scotland performed well at all. It was our worst World Cup performance from, I mean, I wasn't around for pre-1982, but um, the ones that I've seen in terms of the videos and things like that, I just don't think we performed well at Euro at, at, uh, France 98. I think if you look back at the game against Brazil, Brazil were, were poor and were actually were not a great side at that point uh, anyway, although they got to the final um, and had Ronaldo, Ronaldo, who was obviously a phenomenon. But against Norway, who were a long ball side, we didn't really create much, and then against Morocco, were completely played off the park by a, a far better team. So... Yeah. Uh, I don't think France '98 was was a good way to sign off, um, but you know it's terrific to be back, isn't it? it
0: definitely is, and of course, but we're looking ahead to our game. We start on Monday against the Czech Republic, and I would say that the mood around the country is a positive one. Going by what I've read in social media, what I've seen, we're seeing the adverts dropping, uh, the, the songs all coming out as well. It's really creating a good positive vibe.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. There seems to be a real sense of excitement. And I think it's what the country needs after having been through such a tough time like like everywhere in the world. But it's a real tonic. And and this time it's probably more important than any other time in our history to give the fans a real sense of, of excitement going into this tournament. And 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 for all those kids who have just never known what it's like to follow Scotland during an international tournament, during those three games, it's, it's going to be a great experience for them. And let's be honest, Craig, you know, we're not so old that we've really got a great handle on what it was like. I mean, I remember uh, World Cup 1990 and the the excitement I had as a a young, young kid at eight or nine years old. And uh, I can only imagine how excited they must be now and and how much that will make an impact on their support for Scotland in the years ahead because it's formative, it absolutely is. And a lot of kids who might have otherwise not got into football will get into football through this because the excitement that's going around the country and maybe they're not huge football fans, but they'll watch this and then, you know, it'll start that love affair. So I think that's really important as well.
0: Now, before the the tournament, we've had the two friendlies in the last week or so, the 2-2 draw with the Netherlands um, and then followed up by the the 1-0 win over Luxembourg. What did you make of those two performances Were there players that that stood out for you over those two games?
1: Listen, uh, I thought... They were pretty good, to be honest, Um, especially against the Netherlands. The Luxembourg game was ruined by the red card, so you couldn't really get a sense of what Scotland's... uh, It's not really... I'll say that again. It wasn't that you couldn't get a sense of what Scotland were trying to do. It was more that it wasn't really a useful exercise against 10-man Luxembourg. I mean, Scotland's group is full of teams far better than Luxembourg, so I'm not sure what they got out of that other than a training exercise, really. But the Holland game, that's against high quality opposition. I thought they played really, really well and looked good in terms of passing the ball about. I think the formation is starting to take shape as as we play more games in it. Every time I watch it, I am thinking that these elements within the game that are looking a little bit more comfortable for players. So, for example, Andy Robertson and Kieran Tierney now starting to really dovetail quite nicely over on that left-hand side. It's not starting to look like two players that are shoehorned in. It looks like they actually enjoy playing together on that flank now. Mm -hmm. My concern is over on the right. Uh, I think Stephen O'Donnell is a really articulate guy and a good, solid Premiership pro, but I honestly think Steve Clark should pick Nathan Patterson on the right-hand side. Um, For me, he's the best right-back in the country. That's not James Tavernier. Certainly Scottish. And to, to me, he should be the first pick. He's young. He's athletic. He's powerful. He's a goal threat. He can defend. He's proven at Rangers, although he's not played a lot of games, he can play in the big occasions. He played in the Europa League and did exceptionally well. So... I think he's also the future in that right-back berth. And and I don't like this notion that, well, Steve Clark, he's loyal to those who got him there. That's not Steve Clark's job to be loyal. His job is to win games for the nation. So he's got to pick the best players in every position. And I don't think anyone will say that Stephen O'Donnell would get anywhere near that Rangers first team. He wouldn't. He just he would not get near it. So for me, Nathan Patterson, although he's young, although he hasn't had many games, he is the real deal. Uh, as a talent, and he should be playing. And I feel equally passionate, Craig, about Billy Gilmore. Mm-hmm. To me, Billy Gilmore has to play. He is the best midfielder we have at using the ball and controlling the ball. And international football is about controlling the, the ball. Uh, possession and ensuring that you don't give it away. And, and to me, he's that metronomic presence. I think Scotland are hugely disadvantaged by not having a natural central defensive midfield player. and Jack would have given us that. But we don't really have anyone else. Kenny McLean's injury as well. You know, he's someone that can put his foot in. And I think if Jack hadn't been there, it would have been Kenny McLean.
2: Yeah.
1: What I don't like about the midfield at the moment that Scotland have is there's no one who can actually get stuck in, win the ball, and who has a natural defensive nous. You know, I don't think Callum McGregor's like that. I don't think, certainly don't think John McGinn's like that. I don't think McTominay, that's his natural game. A lot of people look at his physical profile and think big guy six foot four. He's going to win the ball in there. He's going to be the guy that's going to sit. Doesn't play like that for Manchester United. He's number eight. He's box to box. So I would go for McTominay and Gilmore because McTominay has a profile. He can put a foot in, he can get forward. Gilmore is a natural sitter, even though he's maybe not naturally defensive. And I think that should be our. Our, our, our sort of pivot or focus in, in terms of the midfield midfielder foundation and I would put John McGinn in front of them. Now, I think Callum McGregor is a brilliant player, I really like Callum McGregor and actually I think Callum McGregor's is a better player than John McGinn, he doesn't give the ball away, he's very creative but I don't think he's in great form and John McGinn, one thing he'll give you is graft in that position, you'll get up and down, you'll defend as well and he's a goal threat so I think John McGinn, especially given what he's Given to Scotland recently in terms of goals, I think he would play in that more attacking uh, position, which allows him to have the freedom to get around the pitch. So from the from the two games, that's my big takeaway: Nathan Patterson, Gilmore. I would play them. I'm
0: curious to know what you think about the forward um, options we've got as well. I, I've spent years, and I'm sure you're like me, where and um, we've we've seen Scotland team after Scotland team go out with one striker. But I saw some um, some shoots coming through of. Um, Lyndon Dykes with Shea Adams up front two guys up front and it's promising signs when, when you look at how the two of them have played is that something do you think Clark will contemplate putting two up front in, in such big games?
1: No I don't, I genuinely don't I think he'll move to a sort of 3-6-1 with um, whoever's up front alongside Shea Adams because I think it's going to be Shea Adams that he picks mm. will be asked to sort of perform as a, as a sort of second striker dropping back into midfield I suspect that'll be Ryan Christie um, given what he's given to Scotland and, and and the mobility he provides and also, you know, he's used to playing that kind of role for Celtic. Um, but I don't think he'll play too up front because ultimately the three teams that are in the group are all better than Scotland on paper, you would argue. I mean, I think Czech Republic, is there much between Scotland and Czech Republic? Probably not, but maybe they would slightly shade it. They've got a lot of good players. Uh, certainly England and Croatia are far better. So I don't think you can probably afford... To have two guys up there, I think you need more of a presence in midfield to try and make sure you you get the ball and you you keep it.
0: Where do you stand on the squad as a whole, given that we've seen so many teams come close in the past and we've had good individual talent, but as a team, where does this squad rank with the teams in the past that haven't quite made it to tournaments?
1: Well, I certainly don't think it's as good as the 2008 squad, for example, Uh, 2007-2008 where we got very, very close to usurping either Italy or France under Alex McLeish. I think that was a, a better team. Um, I think Scotland have moved forward under Steve Clark, but sometimes I wonder if the forward movement is, isn't as slightly overstated. I mean, we got through by the skin of our teeth against Israel on penalties and then we got through again by the skin of our teeth on penalties against Serbia. So we didn't win a game in the qualifying ultimately and it was the obviously the the secondary Nations League qualifying element that we got through. So I think they've got a lot to prove and they are complete underdogs. So anything at all, if we get any points in this group, if we get a win, one win, I think we'll be doing really, really well. And Steve Clark can come away with that and say, I've done my bit because I think they've still, this is still a squad and a team that is coming together in my view. There's a lot of quality, talented young players, but Tomini's a great player and he's going to be a great player. I I think absolutely the same about Gilmore. I I don't have any doubts that Patterson's going to be a top player. But, you know, they are young. So these really, really good guys are are young. And I don't think if you look through the rest of the squad, we've got any, you know, superstars or, or any guys even probably at that rung below the superstars, you know, the guys who are like you know, top, top top six in England. I don't think there's too many of those. So I, I, th- I think any kind of performance that we get out there that isn't three defeats will be will be a real positive. Well,
0: of course. I hate, but I hate
1: to say it's so negative.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you're looking at the prospect, of course, there's the, the carrot of a third place finish could get us into the, the second round as well. And you mentioned one win. One win could be the one that does it. And you're creating history. You're, you're going down a completely different route to what we've seen in years gone by.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, there's no doubt about it. If Steve Clark was to take us into the next round, even if it was via, like you say, one-win, which is a possibility. What do, do think we do then? We'd, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, we go down as the greatest Scotland manager of all time, ahead of Jock Steen, ahead of Craig Brown, you know, ahead of Willie Ormond, all these mm-hmm. great managers that have, that have uh, or, or managers that have achieved great things. Uh, with Scotland so that would rank really really highly but you only have to look at Wales and what Wales did uh, the previous Euros you know if Wales can do it Scotland can do it now the thing is I suppose and, and this should temper the enthusiasm a little bit Wales did have that superstar in Gareth Bale that guy who can change a game that guy who can unlock defences and can pull something out of nothing and Scotland at the moment unless someone appears out of nowhere don't seem to have one of those guys so I, I think it would be an incredible achievement to get out of this group in first or second, you know, looking at the quality that's there, to get ahead of a Croatia or an England would be really quite something. But even to get through in third, I, I think would be a real achievement.
0: And of course, having fans back at Hamden as well, albeit only 12,000, that that adds to the atmosphere as well. It, it gives the players something to put some extra air in their lungs and the fact that they're going to have the fans behind them as well. That's going to be huge.
1: Oh, yeah, and it'll make it a lot more entertaining to watch. I mean, you just have to see some of the games that we're seeing now where there's a little amount of fans back in. It just completely changes the dynamic of the game. So you've got to hope that those 12,000 that are in there can make the kind of din that that Scotland are, are famous for and can create some kind of atmosphere in that big bowl of a stadium. And I'm I, Listen, I'm sure they can. And anything is better than no fans at all. But you just think... You know, Craig, this was a real good opportunity for us if it had been two out of the three games at Hampden packed full to the rafters with Scotland fans. That, that that could have been the sort of marginal gain that could have made the difference. But, you know, fingers crossed that having 12,000 in there, given what the players have been through over the last however many months with the COVID pandemic, that that will really push them on.
0: Just well, I've got you, Johnny. A couple of managerial appointments to, to talk about in the, the Premier League. Dundee United have appointed uh, Thomas Courts as their new manager to replace Mickey Mellon. And Celtic have appointed Ange Postacoglu as well. Start with Dundee United, uh, Tam Courts' appointment, a, um, appointing from within. Um, I think they're focusing more on the, the youth structure. Um, some people saying it's a bit of a gamble. Could it be looked as, as something a bit bold within Dundee United?
1: I think so. Uh, yes, it's a gamble. Of course, it's a gamble and it might go disastrously wrong, but you could say that about absolutely any managerial appointment you go out to make. F- you know, Few people predicted Steven Gerrard, for example, would have such a successful evolution in terms of turning round Rangers, given where he took them on after the Pedro Cusine era. Mm-hmm. So Tam Courts for me, yes, of course, he doesn't have a lot of experience. It doesn't have any experience at the top level, but... For Dundee United to be successful in this day and age, in 2021, they need to actually go back to the future a little bit and look at what made Jim McLean and his era so successful, which was they got the best youngsters from Tayside and the surrounding areas and they built a team of youngsters where kids who came to talk to McLean about signing for Dundee United knew they would get a chance. And there's a lot of Scottish football clubs that don't bring on their youths. They don't have that structure. The pathway isn't clear. And if you've got a club the size of Dundee United that has a clear pathway, that has examples of young guys coming through the team, moving down to the Premier League or or even to Rangers and Celtic, who have bettered their lives, bettered their families' lives because they've had that opportunity, I think you'll start to see a glut of young players going there because they'll see that as a way to further the career. You know, you look at players over the years who've gone to Hamilton, for example, the likes of James McCarthy, because they knew they had the pathway in place. Now, magnify that at a club the size of Dundee United. So I think it's a very, very smart move. It's against the grain and it might not work, but it makes sense. It's joined up from a business point of view. It's joined up from a football point of view. And if Tam Courts isn't the right guy, that doesn't mean the process or the idea is wrong. They need to bring through their own players, and I think that's 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 why they're correct to go down this route.
0: But another thing he needs is time, and that was something Jim McLean got. He got it years and years, over 20 years' worth at Dundee United. We live in a different age. Social media fans are always quick to to vent their spleens if, if things aren't going right. and He's going to need time if this is the, the long-term plan.
1: Oh yeah, you will need time. And listen, a club like Dundee United, you might not necessarily get that. That's that's just a fact of life. If things go disastrously wrong, or if they find themselves in a position next season where they're struggling around the real bottom of the table, because I think they finished ninth last year. So they'll be expected to at least match that, if not better it. Then of course they'll come under pressure. And and I understand why the fans are looking at the appointment and thinking Well, we wanted somebody with a bit more experience than that. I mean, is that really the best that we can get? But sometimes it's not about experience. Sometimes it's about thinking about the the bigger picture and the bigger process. And every great manager started off at a low level at first and then built up their career. And you you just don't know if that's Tam courts or not. Uh, But I I think there's a lot to like about. The ideas that are in place at Dundee United, how much money they've been putting into their youth setup, for example, some of the some terrific coaches there are behind the scenes, some some really good guys who who are very forward thinking, and I would be inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. I know the fans aren't happy, but I just look at it and think there's something different going on there, and I, and I like it.
0: And of course, that leads us to Celtic Ange Postacoglu, another. Out the box, uh, thinking by way of a new manager. Decent record uh, the teams he's been at, including the Australian national team. But I think a few Celtic fans may be a little bit underwhelmed by this one. Would they be right to, or should they be looking at it with a bit more positivity, given his record?
1: It's kind of similar, um, in a way. I think Ange Postacoglu, if you look in detail at his track records, it's quite interesting. You know, he's, he's performed in Australia. Now, you need to caveat that by saying the Australian league is not as good as the Scottish League by a significant margin, in my opinion. Um, But the J League is a good league, and there's a lot of money in that league, and there's a lot of top-quality players over there in Japan, and he's won the championship there. He's managed Australia at a World Cup, and I think they performed pretty well. He's known for an expansive style of football, so he fits into the Celtic way, as it were. You know, it's not going to be somebody that you come in and you go, is this the right fit? In the same way that perhaps last season people looked at Shane Duffy and thought, is Shane Duffy the right fit for the way Celtic play? Well, Ange Postacoglu coming in is the right fit for what Celtic need as a club because we know that the demands there are that you play attacking football, you play expansive football, and that's been kind of drilled into the Celtic support since they were kids. Um, And certainly... Over many years, they've they've tried to adopt that kind of that kind of style. So that makes sense. However, it is an enormous gamble. You can't get away from the fact that ultimately this is a guy who's got no experience of of British football, he's got no experience of European football. So he's going to have to do a lot of learning in terms of how Scotland operates, what the type of teams are, what the teams are going to do. I think he'll come up against a different tactical challenge than he's used to in other leagues because. You know Celtic have to come up against this low block week in week out and then they have to be more tactically expansive when they come up when, when they come up against the be- the better teams in the league like you know your your Aberdeens, your hearts, your, your rangers that'll come at you a little bit more. And also in Europe. So there's this sort of strange tactical flexibility that you really need to adopt at Celtic that he'll have to get used to quite quickly. And, it's, and, and that and that makes it ultimately a, probably a bigger gamble than you would normally be taking for a manager, especially with the, the demands that are in place at Celtic and, and, and their need to bounce back from what was a disastrous season last year. And also the other element of it is whoever wins the league is going straight into the Champions League. So that's the kind of money at stake that makes it so important, I think, for Celtic that they are ahead of Rangers because if Rangers win last year, they could get in the Champions League this year win it again, be in the Champions League again the kind of money that brings in it just takes you to a different level as a club so it's incredibly important but I can see the pros and cons for Angelo uh, uh, Ange Postacoglu to be honest and, and, and I think it's certainly going to be exciting to see how he adapts to Scottish football, I don't think it's going to be boring I think it's going to be box office
0: and he's got to hit the ground running as well. That there's so much change going on at Celtic right now. You've highlighted the fact that you know, straight away they're up against a Rangers team who have already won the league and momentum will be very much with them. So the amount of players that have gone, including Scott Brown as the captain, such a pivotal figure in that midfield for one, and not only what he brings to the dressing room, there's no messing about. He's got to get in there straight away and start getting the team he needs.
1: Yes, I think you mentioned when we talked about Tam Quartz about time, and I genuinely think Celtic fans are going to have to be a little bit patient here because he's taken over at a time when the club itself is in flux and the playing staff are in flux. You'll look at the squad for last season and you ask yourself, which of those players are guaranteed to, part, to be part of the next manager's revolution? There aren't that many. None of the goalkeepers, you would say, are certain. You, over, you look over at left-back and you say to yourself, Greg Taylor, bolly, bolly, and goalie. They need an upgrade probably there, but okay, maybe you could work with those two. Centre back, Ayer once away. Julian's a good player, but that means they need another one alongside Julian. Right back, well, there's nobody there, so they need a right back. You go to central midfield, they need to replace Scott Brown. They need to bring in somebody, I think, to replace Ryan Christie, who's only got six months left in his contract. Further forward, wingers, you know, James Forrest is coming back and he's obviously a good player, but he's 30 now. There's, there's a lot of difficulties there. Odds Nedward's going to be away, it looks like. You've got Lee Griffiths, big question marks over his future. So I think there's going to be significant overhaul. And when you have that, it's very, very difficult to hit the ground running. And the history of Ange Postacoglu is that his teams are always better in the second season. So I think there's going to have to be an acknowledgement of how strong Rangers are, where Celtic are at the moment. And how long it will take Postacoglu to to make a real impact? If he does it right away, then you know he'll have been doing a terrific job because there's these significant problems and these significant pitfalls ahead of him.
0: Welcome back to Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. Johnny McFarlane, there, football writer for Newsquest, covering Scotland. And the recent managerial appointments at Celtic and in the United you heard just before the break back to the Euros and our first opponents on Monday are the Czech Republic who come to Glasgow keen to get off to a good start they come into the competition on the back of a sobering 4-0 loss to Italy followed by a 3-1 win over Albania in their warm-up game earlier this week. Scotland have had the upper hand in recent meetings between the sides, winning the last three games over them and drawing a fourth before that so Steve Clark will want to keep that record going, certainly in this game of all games. The Czechs have usually done well in the tournament in the past, reaching the final in Euro 96 where they lost to Germany and then beat the Germans themselves 20 years before in 1976 as Czechoslovakia in a penalty shootout. Paneka penalty and all. But what lies ahead for Scotland? Will they a different side to the ones we faced in the UEFA Nations League at the later end of 2020. I found this out, but my next guest, Czech football writer Thomas Tanaček, explains the excitement in the Czech Republic maybe isn't as high as it's perhaps been for previous competitions. Yeah,
3: I suppose the the bus is not quite the same compared to the past years because of, you know, the whole travelling thing and the whole COVID thing, but also because there's no one host city and actually the the team is going to be based in in the czech republic and flying out for for every game separately so that's kind of making the atmosphere i suppose you know a bit loose and uh, but yeah people are excited i think this this team is uh, is fairly steady uh, it it brings some uh, <laughs> some excitement but at the same time we just lost uh, 4-0 to italy and Uh, pretty much the only or the biggest uh, dress rehearsal we we have. So, you know, that that deflates the mood a bit, uh, but maybe it's a slap that we needed.
0: I was just going to ask you about that, actually, the 4-0 loss to Italy. You've got the game with Albania on Tuesday, which is obviously taking place after we record this. What can we read into that game? Uh, This is the the time of year when these games are happening. You you look for some kind of sign that a team is going to do well. The Scots obviously drew with the, the Netherlands through the week as well. We're taking... Positives from that. From a check point of view, what do you read into that game with Italy in the defeat?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm trying not to read too much into it because otherwise I would be really depressed uh, because just about nothing worked. Uh, nobody nobody ran even. Uh, nobody could pass for peanuts. It was it was just you know there was no connection whatsoever on the pitch and and the weirdest thing it it wasn't even experimental side actually. Uh, there was maybe like two changes from. Uh, from the 11, you would expect to start against Scotland. Um, so hopefully it was just, I mean, Italy were brilliant. They, they covered the space very well. They pressed high. They basically didn't give us any time on the ball and uh, any space. So a, a lot of it goes to Italy, who are thought to be favorites of the tournament as well. So, or among uh, many favorites. Uh, So it's not just up to us, but also just the commitment. Everything wasn't there. It was just like an exhibition for Italy. And hopefully it was that rare off day that everyone has. And and it was genuinely everyone. Nobody was even average. And uh, so I hope it it was just an off day, which is obviously before the tournament than at the actual one.
0: Well, as I say, Scotland are first up in Euro 2020. How are the Scots being viewed in the media in the Czech Republic ahead of that first
3: game? Well, first of all, I think we all, are, or at least I am, very aware of how Scotland is becoming a bit of a boogie team for us. And that's not just for the senior team, which uh, obviously didn't beat Scotland on both occasions, even though one of them was actually played by our pre-team because all all of them, uh, including the coaching staff, were, were down with COVID, or not down with COVID, but, you know, in a co- quarantine Um, But, yeah, even the under-20 ones were actually awful against against Scotland in the qualifiers. So there might be something, and especially on UK soil, we've historically been uh, pretty bad. And we haven't, uh, we've only beaten Scotland there at home uh, in in 1999, which is is kind of, um, you know, very much in the past. We haven't beaten England there yet. So there's this um, presumption that we might be Onto something. Onto, onto something. We just can't really, uh, you know, figure out. Um, so yeah, I guess that makes it tricky. And to, together with Scotland having pretty much the same strengths as, as Czech Republic, you know, being better probably when when they can attack into open space and not really dominate possession because cracking the sides, breaking them down, is is, is making it a bit harder. I think these teams could neutralise each other and maybe rob each other off
0: of two points as well. You touched upon it a little earlier the fact that the Czech Republic are flying back to the UK for, for their games individually um, instead using the training camp in Prague rather than stay based in the UK, I think it was Edinburgh they were going to be based in, but because of yep. the, the COVID regulations in Scotland, they decided to, to make this decision. Is that likely to be a factor, considering so much travel in such a short space of time between games?
3: Yeah. To, to be fair, we are not the, the only one. I think Sweden is going to do the same as well, maybe even Croatia, actually, but uh, and especially Scotland or, or UK generally seems to be the problem for many sides. But we are I think pretty much the only side that sort of decided on this just like two weeks ahead of the tournament because Sweden announced it with weeks in advance and they were clearly ready. So for us it looked like a last resort and it looks a bit I mean re- reflects a bit bad on them um, but hopefully it's not going to affect us. Um, I suppose most of those guys are are used to traveling, especially the Slavia players who obviously played a lot. in in Europa League, played a lot in UK, actually, with all of the Rangers, Leicester and Arsenal uh, games on on schedule. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's not going to be a big factor, but it definitely sounds like it.
0: Now tell us about some of the players or the key players you think could make an impact for the Czech Republic. I've got the list in front of me. A couple of names stick out um, for me, obviously following the game in the UK. Tomas Suchek, who comes in on the back of a great season with West Ham. Same with Vladimir Kufal. Yeah, Matej Vidra has done well at Burnley this season. Who else would you say stands out from a, a Czech point of view?
3: Yeah, I, I think there's, there's two names uh, who actually know each other. They have a bit of a chemistry because they came through, uh, through under-21s uh, back in, I think, 2015. Uh, and that would be Patrick Schick uh, up front and Jakub Biancto, who, who supplies him from left wing. He's, he's actually used to playing a bit more centrally in Italy, so he tucks in as a, as a left winger. And Jankto is also the main set piece delivery guy, which is obviously huge when you have Socek and, and others. Um, so a big part of our chances usually comes from set pieces. And the problem against Italy was also that I don't remember having a set piece because they just <laughs> they just wouldn't let us. Um, so yeah, from open play, even uh, these two combine a lot. Uh, Jankto assisted on two very crucial goals uh, on Cic. Uh of Schick in, in recent uh, recent years uh, and assisted on some goals from set pieces recently, two of them as well. So he's, he's basically the main creator of the site and Schick when he's on, which is kind of a question mark because he's a bit inconsistent, and but he doesn't bring just the goals. He's got great hold up play. He's, he covers a lot of space and he sees that big not 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 just target man. He's he's pretty much the whole package. But uh, the the main thing with him was that there's just just a few stretches where he's consistently consistently scored goals. And actually at the under 21 Euros, he he I think fired like nine shots and and only got one goal or something. Uh, so he has that vibe of Harry Kane tournament Harry Kane going for him maybe a little bit now.
0: And tell us a little bit about the coach, Jaroslav Silhavi, if I've pronounced his name correctly. He's been in charge since 2018. What is the, the expectation or, or is there any pressure on him uh, to do well in this competition?
3: Yeah, yeah. I suppose actually he was going uh, on a high into the tournament up until the Italy friendly, which uh, kind of make many people think uh, what the heck is going on and, and uh, are we supposed to be worried now? Because obviously with the whole nations league stuff uh, that we kind of came back uh, from looking that uh, into progressing uh, to uh, to league a, league a uh, also thanks to the opponents of scotland but thanks to to fairly impressive wins at uh, in the end and also drawing with belgium those seemed like very good results that that we can ride some momentum on um but yeah, this kind of deflates the mood. But but Shelhavi other, otherwise I think he's thought of as um fairly pragmatic. He he has his 4-2-3-1. He has his favorites, especially at center back and right wing. Uh, that would be Masopoust and Celustka or Brave, uh, who are not very popular with fans, but but uh, yeah, they've played well against England, for example, in that famous two-one victory. Uh, so he's got some right to, to rely on them and, and trust them. Um, so, yeah, fairly pragmatic, pretty bad at changing the, the, the game, the in-game management when something goes wrong, but we look to score early and and once that happens, we are usually pretty good at defending the league.
0: Now the Czech Republic team, a certain Czech Republic team from 1996 weren't uh, meant to be doing well when they went into that competition, the likes of Patrick Berger, Karol Paborsky. And Pavel Nedbed all all involved, the team that got to the final, so they, they were kind of underdogs. A kind of underdog story. Can we see the same here?
3: Yeah, that, that's a good point. Actually, I was I was going to I was going to tweet or, or tweet it out that uh, even that team 1990, in 1996 they lost to Austria in their first friendly, and Austria back then were pretty pretty bad. Or also were not supposed to beat us and we didn't score and it looked like it's going to go bad and then we went all the way to the final. To be fair, it was a bit of a lucky tournament as well and, and you know, plenty of things went our way, but I guess that has to happen if, if you are to succeed in a tournament like this. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's, that's definitely something that the Czech teams historically have been good at uh, thriving against adversity. You may remember... Uh, in, in 2012, we actually started off uh, at Euros by a loss 1-4 uh, to Russia, and yet we progressed from the group. Uh, and at the famous 2004 Euro, actually, we had real trouble with Latvia in, in the opener, and Latvia back then were pretty much the, the biggest under or still would be the biggest underdogs of of, of the Euro. Uh, so yeah, even even started off slowly is kind of our thing. Um, and then recovering to have a good tournament is also our thing. So hopefully uh, this is kind of a good sign in a way.
0: And finally, Tomas, what would be success for the Czech Republic in this competition? Where can they aim for realistically?
3: I think with with three teams potentially progressing, you need to aim for progression. We've made our seventh uh, Euros, actually, which not many teams can save for themselves. So... You know, just qualification is not going to cut it for, for fans. So definitely a round of 16. Um, in in fact, actually, uh, the second team in this group, uh, as as I was doing my tournament prediction, the, sec- the second team might be better positioned for for progression than the first one because the first one is going uh, to face one of one of those three in the in the group of death, uh, the so called one. Um, so we actually, if if we snatch that second place ahead of Croatia, who look kind of beatable lately, um, that would be that would be good, and maybe even quarterfinal, uh, which is actually my guess or was ahead of the Italy friendly. Um, that's actually a realistic, I think.
0: This is Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. Before the break, you heard from Thomas Danicek, a football writer from the Czech Republic, discussing his team. Now, it wouldn't be a tournament without a song to commemorate it, and we've had some, shall we say, mixed results in years gone by. For every We Have a Dream, we've had Big Trip to Mexico. For Ali's Army, we've had, well, well you get the idea, and don't even get me started on Della Don't Come Home Too Soon. Sorry, Justin. There are a few out there, but when one samples as yes sir, I can boogie, and make it a real catchy number, plus have Hero of Serbia David Marshall in the video, then you're doing very well. That's exactly what the La Fontaines did for their Euro 2020 song, Scotland, Bonnie Scotland, and they're aiming to make it our new national anthem. It's a wonderful track, and you heard it at the top of the show, but let's hear a little bit more of it now. We'll show- The Lamfontaines with Scotland Bonnie Scotland available to download or buy now. I'm glad to say I caught up with lead singer Kurt Oaken and drummer and vocalist Jamie Keenan from the band to tell us more about it. Now before we start I should warn you about the strong language in the interview, but I began by asking about the origins of the song and how it came about.
4: We started a podcast at the start kind of lockdown in March last year, just to sort of stay in touch with each other. Obviously, been together for twelve years and that was the first time we've kind of been pulled apart. So it was just a nice way to stay in touch, man. And uh, we were due to podcast the night after the Serbia game. Um, and just like the rest of the nation, man, we kicked every ball with the boys <laughs> and went on the podcast full of the emotion. And, uh, and lit it all out on the podcast, which resulted in us writing a song about it, <laughs> pretty much.
0: Absolutely brilliant. And I'm always curious when it comes to songwriting uh, in general, and I'm always curious whether it's the music or the lyrics that, that come first. I guess everybody's different, but the music kind of took care of itself, didn't it? You've sampled uh, as Yes or I Can Boogie on there.
4: Yeah, I mean, to be, to be honest with you, uh, Craig, it was uh, like the, the, this was, this isn't meant to be remotely a serious song. Like we, we were on that podcast and we thought what the country needs now is they'll need us to write a song about it just as a laugh and uh, you can listen to the podcast it's called 30 Minutes to Write the New National Anthem <laughs> and uh, I just started singing the the, the what, what is the lyric and, and the, the melody of the Baccarat song I just started going Scotland Barney Scotland just as a laugh and then Jamie the a guitar by his side and and started putting silly words to it like uh, the football words like goals <laughs> and and uh, and, and and that was it man we, we recorded it live there in the end 30 minutes went to bed and woke up the next day and there seemed to be some sort of kind of like low key viral demand for us to to properly record it oh and uh, and here we are talking to you now
0: <laughs> so Jamie I've got I personally. You. oh
5: on you go uh, I personally wanted in, in the lyrics of the song to be more like like uh, amped up a lot more like we're definitely going to win the full cup outright and we've got to take eight half of Spain and get a hat trick into Germany and you know all that. <laughs> but, uh, we kept it we kept it vague enough.
0: So yeah. is this our three lions then? I'll we'll go to you, Jamie. Is this our three lions then and you compare when you compare them? Um This is a lion rampant.
5: This <laughs> is our the <our> lions <laughs> raw. <laughs> we only we only need one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely great now as I say there's two two of you with me just now the third one Darren he he's not here <laughs> you're Kerry he doesn't do press but he's away doing the West Highland way
4: uh, he's, not, he's not much a talker he's more of a, a music man he's uh, experiencing the real Scotland exactly <laughs> we've got a man out in the field um, <laughs> uh, so he's away he's away doing that that was kind of his, his holiday sort of thing so he timed it well so that he could dingy Every bit of press that's came with this, which has been, it's been, I mean, it's, it's been strange, man. We've not been, not. excuse the pun, we've not kicked the ball in uh, over 18 months. So to get back into, you know, talking about music again and like shooting music videos and stuff like that, it was a kind of weird transition to make again after being, you know, just living in your house, trying to do, do a, a normal job. So to get back into that, it's been, it's been really, really nice, man. It's been a a nice week's experience.
0: Well, I was going to ask about that a little bit later, so we may as well cover it now because you've touched upon it. If I can turn serious for a minute or two, the music industry and live acts is, has obviously been affected quite badly by, by the, the pandemic. How have you guys handled it over the last 12 months? You mentioned the podcast, but how have you filled your time when you can't do gigs and maybe, I mean, maybe a bit more songwriting perhaps? What have you done over the last year other than the podcast?
4: He's been uh, super active. I am him tell you about that. He's he's writing a book.
5: Oh, uh, well, I think uh, last year I can't even mind what happened last year. It was just because it was all all new. But when about January, the started this year, um, when everybody was going back to school, when everybody were not my friends personally, <laughs> but like when <laughs> when when children when the children we go back to school and it was all online for the first time in January um, and I was seeing things on Facebook and it was a bit uh, the adults didn't know what to teach their kids anymore because uh, they'd forgot everything they'd left it, they'd done at school and it was really about the same time when if have in the one sentence what you been up to fuck all before I've had the chance to say anything and then saying well, fuck all you can do anyway if everybody's no? <laughs> bored they locked I was like right well Fuck that attitude. And then I started, folk have been telling me to do it for ages, but I was out running with a guy, and he was telling me I should write a blog. But then that gave me the inspiration to just write a diary. So the diary was like me going back to school sort of thing. So it was like, so the, the English part of that is just writing it down, but trying to inject some new words and stuff that I would learn deliberately. Words that are well without my, my range. Mm. Um, some really really big ones, uh, but the, <laughs> the, the the modern studies would be writing what I see on the news, or my 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 opinions and stuff. Uh, the, the PE was doing a lot of running and just talking about how how I'm keeping fit. And then the music would be writing the songs, and business management would be stuff to do with the band, and Try incorporate every subject, and then when I've been out back out on the building sites and stuff like that, so I'm using that as my my techie. But then since then, it's been I'm not really talking about the school as much, but it gave me something to start on anyway for the for the diary. So it finishes on when the first gig should be back, which is the twentieth of August. Well, I was
0: going to ask yeah. about that actually. When when the next gig's going to be? Because I'm seeing a lot of acts are are putting themselves out there. Tickets on sale for all sorts of different people that was going to be my next question so
4: that's great news 20th of August where's that going to be? That's a, the, o, the O2 Academy that's our biggest headline show we'll have done to date wow. obviously up in Scotland we're, we're kind of we're predominantly our, the, our biggest reach is so we've done like a couple of nights at the bars and stuff um, but the next kind of step up is the the Academy so to try and sell it out um, during the pandemic hopefully it'll go, go ahead it's a bit of a feat but in saying that I think there's a real appetite for people to get back out and experience live music so I mean I think that'll play in our favour I just hope it doesn't get to the point where we've gained so many new followers now that it's uh, it's got to be a case of play that Scotland song play Scotland oh, song yeah <laughs> which yeah uh, better listen we'll take, we'll take all comers absolutely
0: I've seen there's been a great reaction to it, but going back to the song, I get these songs are a lot of fun. You said so yourself putting this one together. What previous Scotland tournament songs did you draw any inspiration from, if any?
5: Well, I think we'd, we sat and listened to the all the, the previous ones, uh, uh, Ali's Army and uh, the one with me Mishra, Don't Come Home Too Soon. Oh, I don't like And we we're also, were also... <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll, go, I'll, go into that, I'll go into that one in a wee minute, but... The, <laughs> Um, we're we'll just we will trying to keep it don't know live like we, were list, like we agreed that the three lines on the shirt would be the best one the best Fitbit song out right there <coughs> um, but then there was also a, a good couple of FIPA songs that had the, the rap in it which as care raps we would have to address at some point at uh, some point have rap in it um, really? but, uh, I, need, need I need to get something to waste in. the song <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, what was the, the initial thing?
0: Aye, I so you, what were you going yeah.
4: to say about Dalimitri?
0: Yeah, yeah, we're going
5: to talk about Delimitri that's right. I was there, it was two days after we had released their song, and we'd seen like the, like, again, most of the overwhelming reaction is really good, but there's like always one in every hundredth comments on Twitter, folks saying they want to gouge their, their eyes it. and so after years, well, I, I was watching Hangouts with Justin Curry on the telly. He, he was playing. He was going, "Oh, there! I wish we hadn't done that Scotland song. We would built up a good, a good reputation for ten years, and then um, next time we are going into pubs and folk turns to get to fuck, <laughs> fuck <laughs> off and all that." <laughs> and then he was talking about how he, he met Craig Brown after the after the World Cup, and Craig Brown says they were like brought in the throwing the dressing room because that song was getting played or whatever it was making them more nervous. <laughs> to like play Brazil, <laughs> uh, it's just uh, funny just hearing him talk. About it. Yeah. But uh, it
4: but I mean you, it's 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 just that it's been we we have we wrote a song totally as a laugh. Like even how we sing Scotland in the chorus, it's meant to be like Gerard Butler's accent, That's mm. Scotland, like that the way nobody from Scotland really says it, you know, and uh, it's just dead funny to us because anybody that knows our band or fan base or whatever knows we like a laugh. Like all our music videos are pretty daft. We've been, you know, arrested in Morocco for filming daft things or, you know, taking all the record label's money and doing stupid things with it and, and not producing a video or just that's the kind of nature. that We don't particularly like to just set up and play our instruments. Like, they're boring videos. So... They know we like a laugh, but it's the people that have it's kind of reached out with that now that are like, What is this? What's happening here? Uh, and that's it's providing us with serious. I think
5: because we put we've put in the title of the video on that as well, like official new <laughs> new official national anthem. So there's some thought <laughs> that kind of get their heads around that as if it's like as if a, the Scotland team's gotta be singing that when they're lined up at <laughs> Wembley <laughs>
0: And it's like a, if you remember the old sketch week with Billy Connolly talking about the national anthem replacing "God Save the Queen" with the theme tune from The Archers. Ah, replacing I "Flower of Scotland" I with this, a lot more upbeat. Everybody dance. That. <laughs> That's a class. Just get that man. Brilliant. You've got quite a cast list in the video as well. I watched it there just before we spoke. Jonathan Watson's in it. Chris Burke, Kenny Miller, um, Grado, Chris Boyd, and the man himself, Sir David Marshall. How fun was that? Getting all those people involved. Man, see, just having.
4: I can't believe we get David Marshall down the Calder Park in Motherwell. Like that's that's how nice to play football, uh, and he was so brand new. Like I've said it numerous times, he was, he was just the most down to earth guy. Uh, couldn't have been any more up for doing anything really, uh, and just sound. So he, I mean, he made he made the video for us. That's the, there couldn't be a better guy to have in it. He got us there, but he saved and he saved the video, and then after that it's all pretty like you know it's a kind of small industry you know a lot of these people anyways so you just give them a text and let them hear the song if they're into it then they would get involved and we were fortunate enough that pretty much everybody came back um, wanting to be part of it so the whole idea of them like keeping the invisible ball up has been quite a laugh because we had numerous things we thought we could have maybe just superimposed other things in that they were doing and uh, made them look really daft but uh, <laughs> it's great man the video the, the video is brilliant it's, it's everything we would have wanted and more it's just a laugh and uh, I think it represents our band well and I appreciate all the people getting involved but they've, they've, they've done us a solid
0: definitely now take me back to the, the Cebra game just want we're talking about David Marshall where were you watching the game and can you remember just that night and, and your emotions of it
5: I was uh, sorry
0: you?
4: no go mate
5: uh, I was I was working in Paisley or near near Paisley. Um, I was just listening on the radio. Or on the way there. Um, and just remember, I like got kind of more caught up in it than than I would have normally. Uh I think because it was like a, a decider sort of thing. Like, and if they was if they was buzzing for it, um, I just me and me and the guy for work were. I don't know. It, it was. I remember it just being, I was emotional after it sort of thing. Like, it was telling just
4: like, this is lovely. This is lovely. I watched, I watched it in England, uh, in London, and I don't know if that helped. But I, <laughs> like, I was first time I can remember as an adult crying at a football game. Uh, and, like, that sounds daft or like it's talking nonsense, but I did. I just get totally taken with emotion. It, it was amazing. And then with the commentary and all that, and then just when he, like, the fact that he saves it, and then it's that kind of, like, wait a minute, like, looking to, to the line or whatever to oh, see yeah. if <laughs> maybe foot was over the line. It's or a joke. <laughs> aye, aye. And then, and then it's like, we get, we get, it's the most Scottish thing ever, like, doing something amazing, and then just making sure you need to check you're actually, was that all right? Was that fine? <laughs> And then it's like crazy celebrations. It was... Uh, I, I, I watched it in, in the house, man, and down here and ah, uh, felt amazing. Absolutely amazing. Best time.
0: So, just before I let you go, the, the team starting the competition this week, the first game against the Czech Republic on Monday. How do you see it going? How do you see the tournament going for the guys and where will you be watching on Monday?
5: Uh, I'm not sure where I'm going to be watching the game on Monday. I know on Friday... Um, I'm playing in a a, a pre match thing at a pub in Hollytown. and I don't I don't know where you're from, Craig, but it's near Bells Hill. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh,
5: right. Uh, so playing a pub in there. That's on Friday. Um I got asked if I wanted a shift on Monday, which I've said I'll get back to them, but then I realised that the game's on Monday at two. It's not at night time, so yeah. I've not I've no I've not sorted it what I've got to do for it. What is it you do? But, uh, I, I'm just labouring on a building site,
0: right? Which explains the building site in the video.
5: Right, aye, aye, exactly, man. That was the, the one we used.
4: <laughs> well, we had to go back, obviously, with the pandemic to like normal ish kind of jobs, you know. Yeah. So, and um, we kind of got it to the stage where we were aware enough that we were just being a band, which is the kind of level that we always wanted to get it to um, prior to the old plague happening. But just to do it the nature, of it, man. We can of have to go back and muck in and do other things. So, Jamie's back in the building site. I'm doing various things uh, down here, and and it's uh, it's just kind of keep me going. So for me, I'll, I I'm going to try and I'll certainly I'll be watching in England, trying to put about a bit of bad badness on them.
0: <laughs> Good just Good man. <laughs> This is Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. Welcome back. Karen, and Jamie from the La Fontaines joining us on the podcast before the break. Now, let's recap some of the news stories in the last week or so, and we'll begin by congratulating Glasgow City on their 14th consecutive title win in the Women's Premier League on Sunday after they defeated Rangers 2-0 to clinch it. It meant there was no silverware for Celtic, who finished in second place, and they were hoping for a slip-up. But despite an 8-0 thumping over Motherwell, they did qualify for next season's Champions League. So, big congratulations to Fran Alonso's team on achieving that staying with the women's game for a second Scotland defeated Northern Ireland 1-0 in their friendly on Thursday Caroline Weir scoring the winning goal in 76 minutes with a penalty setting them up for their World Cup qualifying preparations and next up for them they take on Wales on Tuesday as you heard in my chat with Johnny earlier Celtic have announced the appointment of Ange Postacoglu as their new manager who replaces Neil Lennon in the Parkhead hot seat and we hope to have more on that next week also Thomas Courts is in place at the United where he's replaced Mickey Mellon who has since moved on to Tranmere Rovers next week though we're looking forward to the big game with England on the Friday night and hopefully on the back of a huge win against the Czech Republic but that's about it for Free Kick the Scottish Football Podcast and this podcast is now part of the Sports Social Network the UK's first dedicated sport podcast network. So find the next show you'll love or join the team at www.sport-social.co.uk. In the meantime, I want to thank my guests, Johnny McFarlane, Thomas Danachek and Karen Jamie from the LaFontaine's and special thanks to them for their permission for letting us use their song. Okay, so it's only right we play out with the LaFontaine's and Scotland Bonnie Scotland available to download and buy now so I'll be back next week take care of yourselves and I'll talk to you soon come on Scotland Scotland,
2: Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk.